In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. One way of amusing yourself at a clergy conference, if the speaker isn't holding your attention, is to work out where on the ecclesiastical spectrum between low and high church people are by what they are wearing. Open neck shirt and jeans or chinos, definitely informal low church, evangelical or charismatic. On Sundays, they probably wear the same clothes as the worship band, and anyone walking in for the first time would not know which one on the platform was the vicar. At the other end of the spectrum are those who, even though the conference publicity said clergy attire was not required, are dressed head to foot in black and with the type of clerical shirt where the dog collar shows white all around your neck, the tonsured collar, beloved of high church Anglo-Catholic priests. They never wear anything other than their clerical attire and have to be persuaded by their spouses not to wear it on holiday because no matter where they are or what day it is, they are first and always priests. So talking to my former theological college principal this week, I could understand his great surprise in a Zoom call with a very low church vicar he is supervising for a PhD and who, he said, came from a long line of illustrious evangelical clergy to see him all got up like a Catholic priest in a black shirt and dog collar. What's happened to you, he asked in amusement. And the priest replied that as the lockdown eased, he had been doing doorstep visiting, calling on homes in the parish and simply asking if everyone was okay or if they needed anything. The clothes made him instantly recognisable and, he said, saved him about five minutes of introduction and explanation each time. He added that nothing he had done previously had generated so much pastoral work and the local church had never been so visible. It was a simple thing he was doing, like scattering seeds and not being choosy about where they landed, but the yield was enormous. It's easy with stories we know well, like the parable of the sower, for them to lose their power to engage us. We think we know what they mean, especially when Jesus gives an explanation, as he does here. We see ourselves as the soil, and perhaps it instills a bit of competitiveness in us to see who produces the most, 30, 60, or a hundredfold. Or perhaps it induces a bit of guilt, because in our heart of hearts, We know we aren't in the spiritual Premier League. 30 out of 100. Could do better might be written on our spiritual school report. Worse, these long weeks of isolation and fear have certainly brought anxious cares to our lives. And right now we may be feeling like we are choked by thorns or worn hard and dry. Life may have pitched us into a place where we simply cannot be very receptive to the good news of the kingdom. But parables are not pep talks 
or morality tales with a simple salutary warning. Rather, as one commentator says, they are houses in which we are invited to move into. Houses with windows on all sides through which we see new things or see familiar things differently. The story of that priest who changed his clothes and our own practice on Wednesdays, while some of us get the church ready for reopening, of walking around the parish, greeting people we meet, asking how they are and assuring them of our prayers, made me think that we are also like the sower and the seeds. Like seeds, the pandemic has scattered us, but we are no less the Church of God when we are at home alone with only the telephone or our laptops for contact with others than when we are gathered together in the church building. In fact, the purpose of gathering in church is, as we say at the end of every service, to go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Our primary place of loving service is not in church, but in God's world, where life has its rocky patches, where troubles and the cares of the world blight people's lives. We have good seed given to us to sow, the word of the kingdom, the good news of grace that can water and nurture the driest places. Look around where you are and see where you can scatter some seed. It may be as simple as a call to someone you haven't spoken to in a while, to let them know you're thinking of them, to ask how they are, to remember them in your prayers. We never know what lies beneath the surface soil of anyone's life, and who knows when and where a tiny seed may take root. What this parable tells us is that in the sower's mind, there is no place or circumstance in which God's seed might not sprout and grow. In his explanation of the parable, Jesus doesn't actually say who the sower is, so it could be any of us. And like the profligate character in the story, who didn't seem to worry where it landed, we can afford to be recklessly generous with it because there is always more than enough grace to go round and even the barren, broken places of this world are the arena of God's care and redemptive love. Perhaps the sower in Jesus' story could be so carefree because he or she understood that growth and fruitfulness did not depend on them but was the work of God. And if he or she had any inkling that the minimum yield would be 30%, they would have been singing at the top of their voices while they worked. Because here is the shock factor in this story that is lost to us with our sophisticated food production techniques. In Jesus's time, a yield of 5% was normal. In good years, it would be 10%. 15% would be enough to open the champagne and throw an extravagant party. So the heart of this story is the miraculous abundance of God. 
In God's economy, even 30% is beyond our wildest dreams of success. It is God who will tend to the seeds that we sow, who will water the barren places where we may be scattered at present, and who will take our smallest, least sure efforts and produce from them finest bread to feed a hungry world. So, tear up that school report and start singing as you fling the seeds of God's abundant love wherever you go. Amen.